O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom for ever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Wednesday, August 18th. Announcing the launch of the War Room Report. Wake up! The world is at war. It is an unconventional war. It is a cultural war. It is a communications media war. It is a political war. It is an economic war. It is an ideological war. It is a war for your mind and thoughts. And, at the deepest level, it is a spiritual war between light and darkness, between good and evil, between Yahweh and Satan. Most recently, we had a bioweapon purposefully released upon the nations in the form of COVID-19 from the Wuhan lab in China. Stage one was the release of the coronavirus, bringing the nations to their knees with quarantines and lockdowns. Stage two of this bioweapon attack is the mandating of the untested, experimental, gene-changing COVID-19 jabs that are administered by a sharp, miniature steel arrow that is tipped with toxic poison designed to change your DNA and weaken your immune system. Stage 3. It is only a matter of time before we go into Stage 3 of the war, when the nations of the Earth go to a full-blown hot or kinetic war with military boots on the ground and missiles flying. How do we fight? Ultimately, this is a spiritual war, so we are to fight on our knees in prayer and intercession. We report for duty to our Commander-in-Chief, Yeshua HaMashiach, to the Lord of Hosts, Yahweh Saveot. To join with others in this spiritual warfare prayer battle, we encourage you to get on the wall of intercession with us. We need intel to pray strategically. That is the purpose of the War Room Report, to give you the intel that you need so you can successfully fight the spiritual war with power and precision. We share practical knowledge, truth, and facts you won't find in the mainstream media world. What we will cover on the War Room Report. All things COVID. Resources and remedies. Big tech censorship. Israel and the Middle East, where the hot war will most likely start. Deep state, globalist, and communist Chinese agenda. The folks in the shadows, pulling the strings. Election fraud and ongoing forensic audits. Go to bridgeconnectorministries.com and then click on the War Room Report. New posts go up frequently. Now, let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week, we are reading from the Israel Bible for the Hebrew Scriptures and from the King James for the Brit Hadashah. Today, we continue the Torah portion, Ki Tetzi, and it means, When You Go Out. Deuteronomy 23, 1-12 No man shall marry his father's former wife so as to remove his father's garment. 
No one whose testes are crushed or whose member is cut off shall be admitted into the congregation of Hashem. No one misbegotten shall be admitted into the congregation of Hashem. None of his descendants, even in the tenth generation, shall be admitted into the congregation of Hashem. No Ammonite or Moabite shall be admitted in the congregation of Hashem. None of their descendants, even in the tenth generation, shall ever be admitted into the congregation of Hashem, because they did not meet you with food and water on your journey after you left Egypt, and because they hired Balaam, son of Beor, from the Pethor of Aram Naharim to curse you. But Hashem your God refused to heed Balaam. Instead, Hashem your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, for Hashem your God loves you. You shall never concern yourself with their welfare or benefit as long as you live. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your kinsman. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, for you were a stranger in his land. Children born to them may be admitted into the congregation of Hashem in the third generation. When you go out as a troop against your enemies, be on your guard against anything untoward. If anyone among you has been rendered unclean by a nocturnal emission, he must leave the camp and he must not re-enter the camp. Toward evening he shall bathe in water, and at sundown he may re-enter the camp. Esther 1-1-3-15 It happened in the days of Ahasuerus that Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. In those days when King Ahasuerus occupied the royal throne in the fortress Shushan, in the third year of his reign he gave a banquet for all the officials and courtiers, the administration of Persia and Media, the nobles and the governors of the provinces in his service. For no fewer than 180 days he displayed the vast riches of his kingdom and the splendid glory of his majesty. At the end of this period, the king gave a banquet for seven days in the court of the king's palace garden for all the people who lived in the fortress Shushan, high and low alike. There were hangings of white cotton and blue wool, caught up by cords of fine linen and purple wool, to silver rods and alabaster columns, and there were couches of gold and silver on a pavement of marble, alabaster, mother-of-pearl, and mosaics. Royal wine was served in abundance, as befits a king in golden beakers, beakers of varied design. And the rule for the drinking was no restrictions, for the king had given orders to every palace steward to comply with each man's wishes. In addition, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for women in the royal palace of King Ahasuerus, On the seventh day, when the king was merry with wine, he ordered Mahumam, Bezitha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs in attendance on King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king, wearing a royal diadem, to display her beauty to the peoples and the officials. 
for she was a beautiful woman. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command conveyed by the eunuchs. The king was greatly incensed, and his fury burned within him. Then the king consulted the sages learned in procedure, for it was the royal practice to turn to all who were versed in law and precedent. His closest advisers were Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Merez, Marcina, and Memakon, the seven ministers of Persia and Media, who had access to the royal presence and occupied the first place in the kingdom. What, he asked, shall be done according to the law to Queen Vashti for failing to obey the command of King Ahasuerus conveyed by the eunuchs? Thereupon Memakon declared in the presence of the king and the ministers, Queen Vashti has committed an offense not only against your majesty, but also against all the officials and against all the peoples in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will make all wives despise their husbands, as they reflect that King Ahasuerus himself ordered Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day the ladies of Persia and Media, who have heard of the queen's behavior, will cite it to all your majesty's officials, and there will be no end of scorn and provocation. If it please your majesty, let a royal edict be issued by you, and let it be written into the laws of Persia and Media, so that it cannot be abrogated, that Vashti shall never enter the presence of King Ahasuerus. And let your majesty bestow her royal state upon another who is more worthy than she. Then will the judgment executed by your majesty resound throughout your realm, vast though it is, and all wives will treat their husbands with respect, high and low alike. The proposal was approved by the king and the ministers, and the king did as Memakan proposed. Dispatches were sent to all the provinces of the king, to every province in its own script, and to every nation in its own language, that every man would wield authority in his home and speak the language of his own people. Sometime afterward, when the anger of King Ahasuerus subsided, he thought of Vashti and what she had done, and what had been decreed against her. The king's servants who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for your majesty. Let your majesty appoint officers in every province of your realm to assemble all the beautiful young virgins at the fortress Shushan, in the harem under the supervision of Hege, the king's eunuch, guardian of the women. Let them be provided with their cosmetics. And let the maiden who pleases your majesty be queen instead of Vashti. The proposal pleased the king, and he acted upon it. In the fortress Shushan lived a Yehudi by the name of Mordecai, son of Yair, son of Shimi, son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been exiled from Jerusalem in the group that was carried into exile, along with King Yehonia of Yehuda, which had been driven into exile by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. He was the foster father to Hadassah, that is, Esther his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The maiden was shapely and beautiful, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her as his own daughter. 
when the king's order and edict was proclaimed, and when many girls were assembled in the fortress, Shushan, under the supervision of Haggai, Esther, too, was taken into the king's palace under the supervision of Haggai, guardian of the women. The girl pleased him and won his favor, and he hastened to furnish her with her cosmetics and her rations, as well as with the seven maids who were her due from the king's palace. And he treated her and her maids with special kindness in the harem. Esther did not reveal her people or her kindred, for Mordecai had told her not to reveal it. Every day Mordecai would walk about in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was faring and what was happening to her. When each girl's turn came to go to King Ahasuerus at the end of the twelve months' treatment prescribed for women, for that was the period spent on beautifying them, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and women's cosmetics. And it was after that that the girl would go to the king. Whatever she asked for would be given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. She would go in the evening and leave in the morning for a second harem in charge of Shagaz, the king's eunuch, guardian of the concubines. She would not go again to the king unless the king wanted her, when she would be summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, daughter of Avakal, the uncle of Mordecai, who had adopted her as his own daughter, to go to the king, she did not ask for anything but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, guardian of the women, advised. Yet Esther won the admiration of all who saw her. First Corinthians eleven seventeen to thirty four. Now in this that I, Paul, declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating every one takes before others his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Yeshua, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. 
But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together to condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Psalm 35, 17-28 Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among many people. Let not them that are my enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. Yes, they opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eye has seen it. This you have seen, O Lord. Keep not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Stir up yourself and awake to my judgment, even to my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Yahweh my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Ah, so would we have it. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yes, let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Proverbs 21, 19 and 20 It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spends it up. I'd like to speak to you today from the book of Esther, and I'm going to read the introduction and commentary to this book out of the Israel Bible by Bacha Markowitz. Esther comes from the Hebrew word hester, which means hidden. Megillah, or scroll, is related to the word ligalot, which means to reveal. The challenge of reading Megillah Esther is to reveal the hidden messages veiled within the exciting plot. At first glance, the story seems to be one of royal intrigue, power, wealth, and politics. Superficially, the events of the Megillah seem to be the result of the whims of an intoxicated king. The name of God does not appear even once in the entire story, making Megillah Esther the only book of the Tanakh that does not mention his holy name. The reader's job, therefore, is to uncover Hashem's hidden hand, guiding what appears to be a string of coincidences. 
Megillat Esther contains an account of events that took place when the Jewish people were living in Persia. Following the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash, the temple, at the hands of the Babylonians, the Jews were exiled to Babylon. Not long afterwards, the Babylonians were defeated by Cyrus, king of Persia, and the Jewish residents of Babylon found themselves under Persian rule. The story of Esther takes place against this backdrop of Persian exile. Cyrus the Great was the first Persian king to control Babylon. In the first year of his reign, he made a famous decree granting permission for the Jews to return to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. Unfortunately, not many heeded the call, though construction of the Beit HaMikdash begins soon after this first small wave of exiles returning, it is quickly halted. It is not until the second year of King Darius's reign that construction of the temple resumes, and it is finally completed in Darius's sixth year. Jewish tradition places King Ahasuerus between Cyrus and Darius. The sages even suggest that Darius was the son of Ahasuerus and Esther. In their opinion, the story of Esther takes place after the Cyrus Declaration, but before the reconstruction of the Beit HaMikdash. According to this opinion, the Jews of the story are the very ones who disregard the decree of Cyrus and choose to remain in exile rather than returning to Eretz Israel to participate in the reconstruction of the temple and Jerusalem. According to the sages, Ahasuerus halted the reconstruction of the Beit HaMikdash and he threw a feast when he believed that the Jews have been forsaken and would never return to Jerusalem. He deliberately offered Esther only half the kingdom, refusing to restart the construction of the Beit HaMikdash. Meanwhile, Mordecai, a former citizen of Jerusalem living in Shushan, the capital of the Persian Empire, was teaching about the Beit HaMikdash and putting aside money for its construction. At the same time, however, the Jews of the Persian Empire have weakened their connection to Eretz Israel. They could have immigrated to Israel years before, during Cyrus's rule, but instead opted to remain in exile. The opening of Megillat Esther even finds them at Ahasuerus' feast, where the temple vessels were on display. It has been suggested that the events of the story and the evil decree of Haman were divine retribution for forsaking the land of Israel and the Beit HaMikdash. The miracle of the story of Esther carries an important message to the people of that time and for all ages. Living in exile, the Jews felt physically distanced from their land and spiritually distanced from their God. They no longer deserved the open miracles they had experienced in the past in their homeland. Nevertheless, the story of Esther teaches that Hashem has not and will not abandon His people. Although he is hidden in exile, he is very much present, pulling the strings from behind the scenes. The God who created the world and who split the sea is the same God who deposed Vashti, chose Esther, and hanged Haman. In a subtle way, Megillat Esther reminds exiled Jews 
throughout the ages of some very fundamental ideas. First, they must never forsake Jerusalem, but must remember her no matter where they find themselves. Second, even outside of Israel, where Hashem's presence is less obvious, they must discover and reveal the hidden God and must see Him in all aspects of day-to-day life, not just in open miracles. And finally, they must always remember that Hashem will never forsake His promise to return the children of Israel to the land of Israel. And that's all I have for today. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24-26 Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.